Accomplishment Coaching is proud to present the following fine programming. Accomplishment Coaching, where coaches lead and leaders coach. AccomplishmentCoaching.com. Welcome to The Coaching Show with your host, Master Certified Coach, Christopher McCollum. And thank you, Dick Warren. Uh, my name is Christopher McCollum, Master Certified Coach. And you have to say it in that tone of voice, don't you, Alex? That would be Alex Terranova, professional, professional certified coach, joining me as a, as <laughs> what would you say, a co-host, a sidekick, a, a oh, man. moderate. As long as you don't call me Robin. We're good. Wow. Wow. <laughs> you went you went to a horrible place very quickly. Uh, that would be the voice of Alex Terranova. You can find him on the dreammason.com or the Dream Mason podcast. He's also the author of Fictional Authenticity, available in now in uh, audiobook form. On Audiobooks. The Amazon. Yeah. And the Amazon is very, very... Audible? Popular. Audible? iTunes, uh, the iTunes store. I feel like I made it. I'm on the iTunes store. I'm on Audible. I'm on Amazon. If you like the sound of my voice, you can have six straight hours of it. The first person wow. that bought it on Friday listened to it in one shot. They listened Wait, to me they for tell you? seven hours. They tell you? So all those books I bought and never listened to, people know? Um, they didn't, they, they Amazon didn't tell me the, oh. the amazing human that bought it, put it on Instagram and wrote, I just finished this. I listened to it all today. Wow. Yeah. I'm like, if you can listen to me talk for seven hours, we should probably talk about marriage. <laughs> it's too much. I'm going too fast for you today. <laughs> it's, just, it's all too much, really. Uh, so in, did I mention you can find him on the dreammason.com? Um, all right. What's the, what's on your mind besides obviously the incredible success of people who are reading fictional authenticity? What's on my mind? Um, I, you know, that the that's been on my mind, obviously. But the other thing that's been on my mind is... Um, breaking up we haven't talked about this a lot um i had a really big breakthrough in this past few weeks that i'm just too comfortable like i did all i kind of did all the things that i set out to do when when i met you like six years ago and started my coaching transformation journey and it's like i wrote the book i've built the podcast i've built the business and now it's like yes you can you can just like upgrade everything it could be like well more money or more episodes or whatever and i'm like nah that's not that exciting. And so I'm at that place where I'm actually going, God, I got to like, I don't want to say blow it up. I don't want to, I'm not, I don't want to sabotage my life, but like, I got to create that new challenge, that new exciting thing to get uncomfortable again. I don't know what it is yet, but how long did it take? tell me later. How long did it take? Take what? For you to go from, for you to kill it all and then get to the like, eh, plateau-y. Uh, the first two to three years were like the hustle grind, like right. I can't do it. Right. And then this, and then the, that third, fourth year was like, oh, it's working. And then that fifth year was like, it's really working. Like I'm feel like I'm not working and it's, you know, I created something. Um, and now going into this sixth year, it, it really feels like, oh, I'm kind of bored. So that was the, the timeline. I'm. Yeah, I because uh, I asked because I recently had the thing with you know I started the coach training company and twenty years and I noticed that my last career was eighteen years and I noticed that a couple of years ago I sort of started like not exactly phoning it in but it was all very 
like that. So I'm sort of in an 18 year cycle that I can distinguish. And I was, you know, casting about and going to therapy and going to, you know, groups and masterminds trying to generate it. And then it came into meditation. And then suddenly I had my mojo back and I was like, oh, I get the next thing. So my, there, I think there are three or four things that come out of this. Listen, if you haven't been listening, pay attention now because I got something to say, which is number one, new coaches need to know that it's a two to three year grind, right? Because they're like, where's my clients? Oh, it didn't work out. And that's if they really put it. And that's like, if they really, like I went full time, right? Like that's, I think that's if they really go all in two to three years to just create that foundation. That's cool. The, the second thing is that there, that there are cycles, you know, there are dips along the way, but then there are sort of cycles or arcs in my experience, both with my clients and myself. And they're, uh, in my experience, they're sort of consistent within the individual, but different person to person. Like, do you see any other arcs of, you know, three to five years in your life? Or oh, totally. I mean, the, my, my, when I used to be in the hospitality business, I went from post-college into being in the business to then opening that, opening them. And those were for like 20 to 25, 25 to 30 was like, oh, this is so fun. No, this is boring now and easy. Right. Um, so yeah, no, I, and I also see even in relationships, my romantic relationships are like two to three to five year cycles which is up from six months. So good job. Yeah. Um, the, uh, I, uh, yeah. The other thing is that um, I don't know about you, but I can't, I can't force it. Like I can go to therapy, wear my lucky sweater, you know, uh, go back to the park where I had that idea one time, but nothing works until it happens. Do you have that? Or is it like, yeah, my, so my coach who we both know, but I'll run, I won't say his name for, um, he you know he i always feel like he would challenge me he would be like just choose you just choose the thing and then you keep choosing it and i think that's great sometimes um and other times i think well that negates spirit like that negates like your connection with something bigger and i'm like you when i try to force it it like maybe i do something but I, i'm i'm with you in the sense of like there's a i want it to hit me and then i want to choose it over and over and over again Yes. Yeah, that's a good that's a good topic for perhaps another time. I love that. Uh choosing again again. One of the things that I'm aware of, one of the things that I'm up to lately, and I was really smacked in the face with this week, so, uh figuratively speaking, is that um as an organization and as an individual, you know, I'm trying to learn, develop, grow in the areas of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, uh, sometimes known as DEI. And I had a conversation this week with a consultant we brought in for the company to do some work with us so that we can all sort of learn and level up. And they said, what's your vision of success in the DEI world? And I fumbled with that. I could not, you know, I, I want everybody to feel a certain way. Like I really struggled with that question. So I'm delighted and excited to talk to our guest today. So are you ready to run into the, the meet? of this conversation or anything else for you, Alex, before we get into it? No, no. I, I mean, I, I want to hear more about how you fumbled and bumbled that that <laughs> thing, but I feel like we can bring that back into the conversation with our guest. Very good. Well, uh, Latanya Wilkins is an extraordinary human being, a global culture leader, a credentialed coach, a speaker, and an author herself. Um, she leads with vision, has a book, 
eating below the surface, how to build real relationships with people that are different from you to transform your workplace, community, and life. She's currently the president of the True Star Youth Foundation Board, which is a digital marketing social entrepreneurship company, which is run by youth of color. It recently received a Google Impact Award, also a board member of the LGBTQ Plus Alumni Association at Indiana University. Who's your and a leadership and teams instructor at the, uh, I'm not going to be able to say it right, College of Business at the University of Illinois. Um, just an extraordinary HR influencer, culture influencer, and leader. Well, please welcome Latanya Wilkins to our microphones and Zoom. Hi. Hi. How are you guys? We're a white, cisgendered, um, <laughs> I, you know, full, full of privilege and, and unaware of it, like most of <laughs> brethren oh, get some self-awareness here right Don't well i'm working on it <laughs> yeah. i'm great thank you how are you you know i'm in uh snowy chicago so it's uh yeah i mean it, it it's good to have it but um when you miss it you don't miss it right <laughs> after i cleaned my car off this morning but uh other than that i'm good i i feel like you know it's been a it's been an we're in interesting times, but I, I what what I, way that gets me through it is I focus on making change in the world. So that's that's what what's what I do. A lot of people talk about it. You're actually doing it. Um, let's talk for a second about um, if you don't mind. This is a super weird thing that just occurred to me when you said region uh, when you said Chicago. Are are there in your experience of doing the work of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. Are there regional differences? Is it a different conversation here in beautiful San Diego than it is there in Chicago? And I assume it's quite different in Mobile, Alabama. That's a really good question. So I would say in the continental US, I wouldn't say there are notable differences. Where, where I see the differences are um, mainly outside of the U.S. So let me let me cover that, and then maybe I'll talk a little bit about industries and not necessarily geography. But uh, I work with uh, executives. I'm also an executive coach. I call myself a culture coach as well, and I work with them to to be able to change their, their cultures for good. And one of the things that that I talk about with them is around uh, how do we measure diversity? For example. If we have offices in Africa or Latin America, do those folks count as diversity? And, and as coaches, we know that we they have the answers, right? And so I, I take them through a series of questions to figure that out. But that's one way or different way to tackle it is that you have to think about it a little bit differently when uh, you don't, your, your country doesn't have the same history as the U.S. has, right? Uh, the, the second way you can think about it is about like through industry lenses, right? And uh, I work a lot with the tech industry, and we know the tech industry has had um, difficulty, and, and they've they've had uh, more difficulties than than many other businesses, and in, in increasing diversity. And there's many reasons for that. And so, yeah, there are different ways that the tech industry might want to to go about this. And the way that looks is they're going to probably want to start earlier. Um, if you if you work for a tech company or your coach working in a tech company or partnering with a tech company, just know that the sooner, the better. Like you want to start uh, DEI with 10 employees, with 20 employees. Because once you scale, and this is what we're seeing with like the Googles and the Facebooks of the world, it's extremely hard to, to, to uh, revert back to uh, where you should be, 
So uh, that's that's the advice I get. So to answer your question, yes, I mean there is an industry difference uh, geographically. I would say yes too, but again, that's that's when you have a global company. I lo- I love that you just put that in that piece about the global because. I definitely wasn't aware of that. Like when I would think of other countries, I would think, well, DEI would mean, right, if we were in Africa, well, are they bringing in people that aren't African? And, but the, the, what you put in was like, hey, the story, the, um, the story of America, the history of America is what actually makes it different, not just like what the people look like. Um, so we might say if we were in like countries that had cultural problems, like if we went to like Israel, where you have like the is- Israeli people and the Palestinians, DEI would look based on that group. And in like, you know, maybe like, let's just say like in Kenya, where the people are probably more similar and there's not, a, they don't necessarily have the story. Um, I don't know that. I'm just picked a country. Um that it would that it's actually about the history and about the way that people relate to each other, not the way, not based on like the religions or the the sex, the choice of sex or the the color of their skin. Right? Like, is that am I on to that? Yeah, right, right. We have a, and I'm not going to sugarcoat this. We have a brutal history in this country, and our American economics was built off the back of black people. You know that. I mean, if you've studied any any type of black history, you know that. And I, it's still hard for us to admit it. And I wish we would. I think Canada has, has started to admit that, but we need to do it here. And and so that's, to, to your point, Alex, most of what I do is are people trying to dig themselves out of that, right? They're trying to increase their black employees. They're trying to engage their black employees. And, and that's great and all, but uh, there's other underrepresented groups as well and so definitely anti-racism needs to be a part of it and you need to be thinking about that. And, but it's also thinking about um, creating a culture of belonging for, for really everyone, especially reckoning with why you got there in the first place with Black employees, right? And so that's, that's really what, what I work on. And that's, that's, uh, that's where companies are finally willing to go. They're willing to get deeper into instead of a kumbaya approach, they're willing to say, hey, there's some areas that we are worse than others. Another area that I, I want to mention, transgender folks, I mean, that is another intersectionality is 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 a thing. And we forget about that. And so like I said, anti-racism part is part of it, but you have to think about black people and others with, with intersectionalities, like people may be part black or they may be black and queer or black and trans. And and so that's why I try to, again, help my clients realize this is a part of a bigger strategy and in recruiting black people and anti-racism should be part of that, but it's gotta, it's gotta be bigger, right? Christopher, you mind if I jump in here for a second, a follow follow up to this? Um, What I've, what I've seen or what I've noticed is, and I'm just gonna, I'm gonna make this up, but is the, the group of people in the middle it's like there's people that are overtly racist, right? Like we know who they are. We they 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 show it to us right up front, and then there's um, let's say people that are doing DEI work and and doing the work to change their bias, change the way they see people, change the way they. And then there's people in the middle who I would call like they they I don't know they're unaware maybe is like the best way I can say it. And I often hear see those people have the 
there's like a defensiveness when they when they hear conversations like this they they feel like it's an attack they're like i'm not racist and i can imagine when you go into big companies you get you know you're going to get a lot of the middle there's most of the people live in the middle is that am i am i accurate in saying that and how do you how how do you kind of like bridge that gaps to to kind of yeah. crack that nut open yeah so first off i want to in full transparency, I don't ever call anyone racist because when you do that, it's, it's a conversation ender yeah. and, it, and it doesn't really take us forward. So I'm all about forward. I'm a coach. And a lot of what I do is based on positive psychology uh, methodology. So yeah, I don't, I don't do that. Uh, <laughs> and you bring up a really good point with people in the middle. And there's been lots of studies around this. I, I, my, my work is evidence-based. And there was an HBR study done that talked a little bit about um, people do rebel against DEI strategies when they're forced to do training, when they're forced to be told that they're the bad person, when they're not included. I, I just uh, briefed this with an executive team yesterday, and most executive teams are 80% white and 80% men. And this was an executive team that fit that as well. And so it's you have to involve them. They need a place in it. And that's what this research said, is that everybody needs a place in this. And if you're going to do mandatory training, make sure it's compliance training, but try to have something separate that's voluntary, like culture training, something that people would be interested in, like manager training. And you're talking about these people in the middle. You know, I, I have this philosophy. I don't really care what you think. I mean, I, I want, what, I, what my goal is, is to build capability and take action and, and also action around building structures and systems. And structures and systems are underrated, but they're really how we do this. And these structures and systems are, are basically uh, like, like footholds that, that make sure, or guardrails, that where you can't really divert from those. And, and it takes years to build that, but that's what I'm building towards with, with my clients, structures and systems. Sometimes that's a structure and system of a mindset. Sometimes it's a structure and system of a process. Uh, culture is a system. So we're, we're looking to systemically or systematically build something that, that is going to have a, a long-term impact. The last thing I want to say about what you said about people being in the middle, this is why coaching is the long-lost gift of DEI or the long-lost tool of DEI is because, as you two know, as coaches and many people that are listening, coaching is non-threatening. And I don't tell anybody what to do or what to think. I don't judge them for their political views. All I'm doing is asking them what success looks like to them. What does it look like to their team? We don't have to spoon feed everybody. Everybody doesn't have to be doing the same things. Uh, so the, the CTO may be doing something different than the CFO, right? The CTO may, may not have any diversity. The CFO might be able to have more access, right? So it's different and you have to, we have to empower leaders to be in on this. And, and, and it's been, what's really disappointing to me and why I got in this field in the first place is it had become very punitive and it was very much like, okay, you have to hire this many or I'm going to cut your bonus. But what do you think that did? What that did is brought a bunch of people in and they weren't, they weren't included. Um, it was very, it was competitive, but it's not a competitive field. <laughs> it's a field that, that involves a lot of realness. And that's why I, I write about this. It involves realness around leadership empathy and vulnerability. And, and that, those are some of the things that are missing in those hardcore accountability plots. 
my uh, my million dollar idea for somebody is that like my kids when they were learning to read or math or science there's sort of level one level two level three books right when you're bringing and and i suppose i'm doing this backwards because in a moment i'm going to ask you or we're going to ask you to sort of define dei and b and how belonging is different and related but before that i noticed that i want to you know start here and then go here and then go here for most of us who are in the conversation and i can't you know there are some people who are starting at all different levels and i don't know where to support other people who say hey you know i know you're doing some of that DEIB work where where should i start and so i sort of well here's what i've read you know and i send it to them and then i find it on their you know shelf unread weeks or months later is there a is there a starting place that you're offering people or noting is a, a really valuable starting place and do you have a couple of steps for people who, who want to learn more in this work or is it just free for all yeah, so I do a, a talk called uh, Coaching People Who Are Different From You. And, I, and I'll talk about this in terms of coaches. And if you're not a coach and you're listening, there, there's other ways that you can apply this. And I, I talk a lot about one of the research, again, around this. And one of the, the effective factors has been exposure. So having exposure to different types of people, different races, different uh, ethnicities. And it, it, it's um, there's an academic term called perspective taking, which is basically empathy. It's another word for empathy. And, and the idea behind exposure is that the more exposure that you have to other groups, the more that you could take on their perspective, the more that you could be empathetic and, and wear their shoes and appreciate their experiences. And so while the books are okay, I, I want to encourage you all to, instead of reading a book or buying a book, join a book group or start a book group. Uh, I, I, it's so easy to do that these days. There's a huge interest in it, but e easy, accessible thing you can do is you buy a book, you, you, you call up five people in your network and you say, Hey, do you want to read this together and discuss it? So I, I think that's the first way. The second way is, is to try to get involved in organizations that, that might have people who are different from you. Okay. And, and that might mean, uh, you know, you might join a, uh, like, for example, you talked about me being the president of True Star Youth Media Foundation. So we have people on that board that are not, I mean, it's mostly Black, but we have people that are not. And so maybe even volunteering for an organization or getting involved with an organization as Black founders, right? It doesn't, it doesn't have to be the NAACP, right? Or anything that's that's mainstream. It could be like, you know, a startup down the street or a startup nonprofit that's got, you know, black founders or queer founders or whatever. And it's just a different perspective and getting involved and hearing them lead is, is something that's going to take you way further than a book list. And so the way I would respond to people looking at books is I would ask them, okay, you're going to read this book. How are you going to apply this? Like, what are you going to do with this? Like, how, how are you going to build a structure in your life? based on something from that book. And, and that's where that's where people really struggle. I mean, you have a lot of people out there that have good intentions, but they read that book and then they don't, they're not really practicing what they're trying to do. So that's what I would say is join a group. And again, there's no shortage of those. I'm, I'm, there's a lot of coaching groups out there that are trying it. Um, and there's a lot of, within your network, there's a lot of people talking about this stuff. That's great, thanks. 
Um, Alex, I'm, I'm trying to guess from your eyes, but uh, do you want to follow? I, I, follow I, I felt like we were going to bring in, I mean, I, I was going to bring where I thought you were going, which is just, which I think you should take it as the, the belonging piece. I thought you were going to go there after. Yeah, thanks. So I had an organization and I have, uh, you know, conversations with people who are high up in other organizations regularly. And many of us are struggling in the DEI world. And I wonder if you would just sort of take us through, especially because we call it the DEI world sometimes, or at least those of us, some of us do, maybe misinformed. But when I was asked, what is the outcome? It was really what I relate to as belonging, which is that I want everybody to feel comfortable, supported, you know, a part of. So could you, Latanya, take us through the different aspects of DEIB and, and what's belonging and how important is it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's diversity, which is how we're different. Inclusion is, is it's, it goes beyond including people. It's, it's also sharing power. Equity is um, having uh, access to resources, networks, uh, other types of development that you need in order to get where you want to go. Uh, belonging. DEIB, I think I got all of them. I think I hit all of them. Oh, anti-racism is always one I talk about. And I usually talk about that in terms of anti-racist systems. We talk about anti-racist people, but that's a newer way to talk about it. And it, it's basically that you are a uh, ally that, that is very, that, that's very rigid about this process. So that's the, that's the third one. And the fourth one is, is what you just mentioned, belonging. So belonging is, you know, I could give you an example of belonging as, as coaches, because I know a lot of people that are listening, uh, but imagine belonging is walking into a coaching conversation with a new coach, um, and that coach may be different from me. Maybe that coach is white. Maybe they're a man. Maybe they are, maybe they're straight, cis. Um, if they're opposite of me, I could walk into that conversation and look around and feel like I belong, right? And that's, it's hard to do that, right? Um, I would say that if that's the first thing that people do when they walk into an organization, they're, they're looking around, they're, they're looking to see if people look like them, how many people look like them, if everybody that looks like them, if it's like Starbucks, are they all baristas or are they managers, right? And so that's, that's belonging. Uh, belonging also, it, it incorporates some components of equity in that equity again is is access is being able to have access and so if you're looking around and feeling like you belong because you see that other black woman in the c-suite then that that also encompasses some components of equity right because you're, you're starting to see that at least i'm not saying that the organization would be perfect but there's some remnants of okay maybe this is a, a place i could be so belonging is is, is it, it goes hand in hand with culture uh Culture is all about, when I talk about culture, my clients, I talk about see, no, do. What we see in the organization, what we know about the organization, what we actually do. And the do is the hard part. And that's, but that's where a lot of the belonging lives. And and my follow-up is, and I know this is an impossible question, but, you know, one of the things we look at in our organization, and I think as a, more and more as an industry in coaching, is how white it is, how historically female dominated is, although I think that's um, over time that has leveled up a little bit in uh, substantially, I want to say, but man, 
still so white, um, so heteronormative, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of opportunities inside the industry. From your perspective, are there things that our industry needs to take on or could take on to, to make a difference? <laughs> yeah. I, look on your face. I'm a little concerned that I asked you too, too big. So it, it's, this is a hard one. So my first coach was a black person, um, black man. And it's not just being a white profession, it's patriarchal in the way that he, although I was able to get some things out of that relationship, this is one of the reasons why I became a coach, because I thought that this was wrong. He told me not to share my lifestyle in interviews, and he told me to keep things to myself. So, I mean, I realized that he was a advisor, he wasn't a coach, but he called himself a coach, and it's dangerous, right? And so this takes me into your question. I think that the ICF has to get a little more uh, strict about what certified coach training is. And if it's, if it's addressing uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, they need to look at their, like who's, who's in those schools. Coaching also, there's an access problem. It's expensive to take coaching programs. And so I think, which is crazy because, you know, I'm, I'm doing some classes with the mindfulness coaching school. I got a scholarship there and like, they're the only coaching school that I, I think has that. Right. And so I think it's, um, having, asking coaching schools to, to consider, um, doing some, you know, getting, get, giving out some underrepresented scholarships and, and also, uh, also introducing other communities to coaching. Cause that's the thing. It's a, it's a vicious system. White coaches, white clients, white co coaches find white clients. And then the white clients, they, they recommend their other white clients. And so what's happened is in, you're talking a lot about, or we're hearing a lot about democratization of coaching, but it's uh, how can we expose coaching or expose underrepresented, underrepresented communities and underprivileged communities to coaching so they know what it is. And how can we make it so it's not just a profession for executives, right? Um, I also do a lot of team coaching. And but even that's still a new field. And see, people still don't, they haven't, if they haven't experienced it, they don't really know what it is. And and so many people of color have not experienced it. The third thing I would say is that uh, there's been more and more uh BIPOC coaching groups coming up. Um, and and so I think finding a way again for coaching programs, I think it really starts with the programs and finding ways for them to foster alumni relationships and groups with people of color. Uh, there's none of that going on right now. I don't see it. And it's actually pretty disappointing. And so I think it's, it's, it's those things that, that, will, that will go a long way. And we haven't even scratched the surface. I haven't seen it. Um, and, and so th those are the things though that I think that we have to think about. Alex, do you mind if I interrupt with one tidbit, which is that I know you just said that that's the only scholarship program that you're aware of, but at my company, Accomplishment Coaching, where we do uh, ICF accredited coach training programs, we've just implemented this year scholarship seats in each one of our 10 uh, uh, training programs. So I want to sort of announce that here, but I think you point to that it's also like, so now four people know about it, right? Like, I mean, we're, we need to get the word out to the communities that we intend to impact. Thanks for the thanks for the interruption. Yeah, 
and that's amazing because again, it's, it's access, right? It's, it's, uh, you know, if you look at the, the wealth gap, right? We, black people, I mean, you might've started with nothing, but I'm more likely I've started with nothing. And I started with nothing. So, I mean, to go 10 grand in debt for CPI, which I did, uh, after that, I was kind of, you know, now that I built up my business to a respectable level, I might be able to do that, but it's all about, you know, getting people off the ground so they can at least explore coaching and see how special it is. And so Chris, thank you. That is amazing. And I would love that information because I want to pass that on. Tired of presentations with no impact, no inspiration, and no traction? Do dull speakers have you and your team disengaged and distracted by smartphones? Christopher McAuliffe brings energy, insights, and two decades of experience delivered with punch, humor, and heart. Your team will leave energized, uplifted, and with a sense of purpose. Visit ChristopherMcAuliffe.com to bring some heat to your next speaking engagement. M-C-A-U-L-I-F-F-E. ChristopherMcAuliffe.com. Are you seeking to change your career to something that is both fulfilling and challenging? Do you want to help people reach their full potential and strive to achieve their dreams? Would you like to inspire those around you and help create a better world? If you're serious about a career change or just want to explore the craft of personal coaching, contact Accomplishment Coaching with locations across the country in Washington, D.C., Seattle, Chicago, New York City, and San Diego. Accomplishment Coaching is the leading institution in personal coaching. Our staff carefully monitors the entire program live during the training process and have met the strict standards of ICF International to achieve accreditation. Through a focus on quality instruction rather than endless modules of training, Accomplishment Coaching will guide you from your very first step all the way to becoming one of the finest coaches in the world. Visit AccomplishmentCoaching.com to learn more. Accomplishment Coaching, where coaches lead and leaders coach. Christopher McAuliffe is your source for the latest in the world of personal coaching. Whether it be speaking with such luminaries as Deepak Chopra or getting the newest techniques and innovation, The Coaching Show is always on the cutting edge of what's happening now. The Coaching Show is brought to you by Accomplishment Coaching, home of the world's finest coach training program. Here is Christopher McAuliffe, Master Certified Coach. I love I love how you just put that. And I just had this visual that I think people, it's like that people don't see is like, hey, the runway might be available for everyone. Like it might exist, like there's a runway, but if you don't have the plane or you don't have the wings or you can't fill the plane with jet fuel or you don't have a pilot, the runway is insignificant, right? Like, and that's where it's kind of a nice way to look at how we start differently, right? To your point, like I didn't start with nothing. I didn't start with everything, but I started with a runway, a jet plane. There's, you know, I had to learn how to fly. And, and that's a big difference from somebody who's like, I don't even know where the run, I don't even know where the runway is. I know it exists somewhere, but I don't know how to get there or how to access it. Um, I'm curious about the, the, how you open the door in companies to people that are like resistant or why would I, right? Like I have a company, we're making good money. We're not having problems that we can see on the surface with, with DEI, um, with, or anything around DEI and, you know, somebody, you come in or somebody else introduces it and the leadership is like, why would we do this? What's in it for us to actually do this? Yeah. So Alex, I think that probably happens more to chief diversity officers, which I'm not. So, but I, I think that I've been fortunate because I've grown my business to a place and where I can, if, so I will go through, you know, a discovery process, finding out more about the company, what their needs are. 
but I, I go with my intuition. There are some clients I have to respectfully and great, great, uh, gratefully say no to because I can tell that I'm not the right person at that first stage. Like sometimes if they're starting uh, well behind the start line, that makes sense. <laughs> and there are a lot of folks that aren't even to the start line yet. I'm not the right person yet because I am not in the business of convincing anyone. I'm not in the business of giving you a business case. What I'm in the business of is um, helping people get there, uh, being taking every step with them if that's what they want to do, right? If, if yeah. they're like the kinds of people that Chris said, well, I want to do this, but I don't really know what success looks like. I could help them figure that out, but I am not going to, it's, it's not my, that's not my expertise. I'm not, my expertise is not to um, assess how racist you are. assess how resistant you are. I mean, what I can do is that there's always, like I do executive team coaching around DEI and I'll infuse that with workshops. And there are some people that are not as, as crazy about it. And I explore that with them as a coach. That's what I do. I do it as a coach first. And I, I, I try to understand their resistance and understand what's going on in their body and why, why this is making them nervous. And there's a lot of things you can get to through that. I, I love the clarity too, around your, like, you know, exactly who you are and what you do specifically. Um, it's funny. I just had a conversation with somebody yesterday who's a head of culture and they said, our, our leadership doesn't, isn't open. And we were talking and I was talking, cause that's my favorite thing. Like, I love to be the person that comes in and mm -hmm. kind of gives the smack to the face, but I'm, I then would like, I'm not necessarily the person that does what you do. Right. And I think it's like important for us to know like where we fit as coaches in the, in terms of our, in terms of our success, our business, our development. I, I want to follow it though. Cause I do think, you know, the answer to this, if we were sitting around and we were simply sharing with people, why DEI, why, what, what difference that aside from like, it occurs as like the right thing to do as a human being, what difference is it going to make for, you know, for the companies, um, for people that like, what are the things you've seen that it's done that yeah. have been besides that it's the right thing? Yeah. So I, I want to address a couple of things. So you, you talked about someone, you know, your friend being a, a culture, you had a culture and I, I spent a lot of time in uh, fortune 500 companies and, oh my gosh, I feel for your friends. So if your friend's listening there's too many times where leaders pull the trigger way too fast and their organization is not ready for that position. Organiza that organization is not ready for her. So hopefully she's got the perseverance to stick with it because that's not, that's not her job. That's kind of why we're not, talking. That is not her job to do that. That's, that's not. So anyways, um, but the, the second thing I will say is I, I think you, you asked me about why DEI. Well, there's several reasons why I, I think the first is there's a multitude of studies out there that say it's better, right? Like why your company performs better. There's been several studies. I don't have to recite them all, um, but you not, they unanimously say that, that your company performs better. Although in the, in the short run, there, there needs to be some time for the storming, norming, performing, um, you know, stages of team management. So, so first off, second, secondly, you mentioned uh, Alex, the moral piece. And I've had a hard time with this because um, I've been, again, I spent a lot of time in Fortune 500 and they've kind of said, moral, what are you talking about? What are you? But it kind of goes back to uh, one of my, my publisher, uh, my book publisher 
just became a B Corp. And I was looking at, and she was like, hey, you should think about this. And I, it took me back to the triple bottom line. And this should be part of the triple bottom line, right? Like if you're a company that wants to be sustainable, like I like that framing better than moral is that, yeah, it's a triple bottom line. It's going to help you, right? You're, you're taking a different perspective. You're improving society, right? Um, the, the third thing is that the, the world's changing quickly. And in, in, in 20 years, uh, we're going to be mostly people of color in the U.S. And so it's like you have to do it. It's and, and it's I was talking to a company yesterday and they are concerned with if if you don't do it and this, if you need another fire lit under you, you don't do it. You're going to get so behind that you're not going to be able to get anyone because they're going to come in and um, you're, you're you're just going to need them. I mean, that, that's what the talent pool is going to be, but they're going to look around. And no one's going to look like them, so they're going to go to another company. So, I mean, those are the, the big reasons why. I mean, we know what the research says. Uh, it's where the world is going. And and also, it's, um, you know, we you think of it as like the triple bottom line. I mean, if you care about climate change, right? If you care about, um, you know, contributions back to society, if you care about, you know, economic inequality, then you should care about this, right? Is that, forgive me, I'm not familiar with the term triple bottom line. Can you spell it out for me? Yeah, so I am not the expert, but I will tell you that I think it includes, it's basically what it's saying is that profit is one of the bottom lines. And I think the second is impact. And I'm not sure of the third, Alex. I don't know if you could pull it up for me, but it's a three-piece formula. And I got it. People, planet, profit. Yeah. Yeah, and I thought purpose, purpose was in there. But it's basically saying that your business goes beyond profit. Thanks. Just wanted to bring people in that may not like me know what it is. You are so generous. First of all, I think you're the first or second author we've ever had on who, when I said, when I said what book do you recommend, did not recommend your own book. So allow me to do that. Well, it's, uh, it's not out till the summer. I want to make sure everybody knows that. I'm kind of going through the editing phase. Okay, but can we pre-order it or not even? Not yet. Not yet. You will be able to. We have to wait. Yeah. We're just going to wait <laughs> for your book, which is Leading Below the Surface, How to yeah. Build Real and Psychologically Safe Relationships with People Who Are Different from You. You've got a Beyond Training series, and all of these and more are available on your website, which is Latanya, spelled L-A-T-O-N-Y-A, Wilkins, W-I-L-K-I-N-S. That's L-A-T-O-N-Y-A, W-I-L-K-I-N-S.com. Um and you've got a DEI diagnostic there, something for our listeners? Yeah, on latanyawilkins.com, you'll see a, there's a quick DEI diagnostic and it'll, it'll, it'll give you a, a quick flash of how you're doing, a litmus test. So you can go on my website and that's there as well. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so afraid of the, of the grade that I'll get on that. And then what, <laughs> um, you've got, you're even more generous and you've got something for our listeners today. If some lucky listener will get uh, something, what, what are you offering? Yeah. So, I mean, what I'll offer is if you take, if you go and you take my, my DEI diagnostic and you, and you get a failing grade, like Chris said, he's going to get, I'm happy to have a, a, a 30 minute conversation with brainstorming discovery conversation with you about some, some quick wins that you can take in order to move more closely, closer to belonging. Great. So you'll pick the winner where nobody should send us anything. You'll just pick them from people that yeah. go and take the DEI diagnostic? Absolutely. 
Very good. And again, that's latanyawilkins.com. Thank you so much. That's very generous of you. And uh, I know that it's a great sort of beginning place for a lot of people who are in this conversation, or if we're in it, you know, sort of up to our knees or necks, then it's also a great, a great opportunity. Alex, what do you got? Well, I want to remind people to just not get your book, that they have to start, they have to get a book and create a group, which I love the extra action. Um, <laughs> what do you, you, you talked about the future a minute ago, like, hey, this is where we're going. This is what's happening. These are the numbers. What do you see your role as a coach, as a trainer, as a leader, like in the, in this future that like we're headed towards? Yeah, I I think I'm as a coach, what I do is I help people find their place in this movement. And I think there's been, like I said, up to this date, there's been a lot of this is how you have to do this. This is the playbook. But as we know, as coaches, not everybody has the same playbook. Everybody has um, different levels of impact that they can make. And so I help people discover that. Um, I help people. Um, move past the training. I, I wrote a book beyond training series and that's on my LinkedIn page if you're interested, but it's about how to, how to build inclusive cultures in current times and that current times in COVID. And, and what I'm saying there is that, um, you know, I'm there to help you with the long term and build those structures and systems and, I'm, and find your place in this and help, help your other leaders find their place in this. I'm I'm for you, especially if you feel like you have leaders like Alex said that you know half of them are racist or you think they're racist and and they they're resistant. Um, bring me in, you know I can I can explore that with them as a coach. And again, we're trying to stick to like with the, the actions that they're taking, um, building structures around that and helping them find their place in this. Um, like I said, the HBR research did say that you know. White men in particularly can rebel against uh, DEI when they feel like they're being told what to do or they feel like they're being demonized. And yeah, we do have to be honest. I don't want to, I'm not the kind of person that wants to race history. I remember, you know, uh, Donald Trump when he put, put out the no diversity training and try to micromanage. I'm not saying that we shouldn't know our history, but what I'm saying is let's try to put these folks to work. Let's help, let's try to inspire them to be a part of this because. The other way didn't get us anywhere. Beautiful message and and consistent with your <laughs> with your theme of inclusion. I also want to acknowledge that last a couple of years ago, you won a peer nominated award for most inclusive HR influencer. I love the people who walk their talk. I'm I know that we're winding down our time together, but I just can't let you go without talking about this. So in our organization, and I imagine other organizations, as we're starting to do this work and we're doing focus groups and inviting, you know, people of color, BIPOC people to talk about their experience inside the organization and beyond and white folks to do the same thing. One of the things that's coming up is a lot of pain, a lot of mm -hmm. anger, a lot of, um, you know, people are are angry about the inequities and and. Uh, oppression and, and marginalization in our society, but also people are upset, I think, if I'm hearing it right, at their own complicity in it. Do you know what I mean? It gets it gets multi-layered pretty quickly. And so what I'm being told by people in, in my organization is that it's actually 
a good thing to have these places and these and these conversations mm-hmm. where this can come up, even though it may not make people feel better and we don't always know what to do with it. Is this a, a good trend? Have you read any studies or have you got any personal experience that this is a good idea or does it just make everybody feel bad and then we all try and get back to work? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think it's tricky and I get into debates about this with, with some of my colleagues around I mean, I, I was once put into a quote unquote focus group with black women and um, it didn't feel like, again, there's intersectionality. So it's, you, you gotta be careful with grouping people together just by uh, visible qualities. One of the things I say a lot is that black people are not a monolith. So it, it, it's, you're making a lot of assumptions if you're doing that. Uh, one thing you did say, Chris, that I think is effective are listening sessions. And in those listening sessions, um, actually, I, I started working with a, a Jewish synagogue, and I never do this. It was just something that I decided to do because a, a friend kind of hooked me up with it and asked me to do it. And I said, okay. And um, they do, and I love what they do because it feels very spiritual. They do these, um, what they call house meetings, and, and they're basically listening sessions. And it's bringing people of color together to share their experiences. And you gotta be very careful about how you you set this up so it doesn't feel like they're lab rats, right? <laughs> you wanna make sure it's a place of love and it's a place of, of safety and vulnerability. And so um, the way they organize this has been fantastic. I, I actually was, they do way better than the corporations. So they're not trying to, to do that. Another thing I, I have my companies do if, if we go, if we do human-centered design is I have them do empathy interviews with their employees. Um, and what that is, is it, it teaches uh, executives how to actively listen. They're doing these empathy interviews so they can express empathy. It's part of the design thinking process. I tweak it and I do it a little bit differently in that they ask these questions of, of all people. I mean, I've done empathy interviews with, with, with people and People, everybody has something, right? People that I didn't think of something, this powerful CEO told me all of these personal things. And so just being able to sit and listen. Um, the third thing is you talked about trauma and you have to make it okay to express that trauma. I, in human-centered design sessions I've done over the last few months, I would say at least one person cried, at least. And sometimes they're black, sometimes not. I mean, I think with us black people, if we're going to cry, I mean, I got upset in a meeting because someone talked over me and I was feeling really tender. It was it was after Brianna Taylor. So I, I turned my camera off and I expressed that I was feeling a little traumatized and that's all I could do. So, but I think it's, if you make it a safe space where someone can do that, um, then that's, that's so valuable because then they're going to, they're going to tell you more and more stories. So so anyway, I feel like I kind of rambled there. The big thing is to remember it is we're not lab rats and try to try to make it a place of, if you're going to do it, a place of em- empathy, love, and understanding. Thanks. Alex, you want to what's up? I want to, um, I just want to, res- I mean, I notice I'm just noticing the time and, and I don't want to throw time into our podcast, but I'm noticing that, uh, that's why it has to be somewhere. So I, I want to invite her to just have the space to kind of give us parting words, anything that she wants to leave people with, leave us with. Maybe maybe somebody will get through that thick skull of yours and have an impact. Yeah. Maybe we can really hit Christopher hard right here. 
<laughs> yeah. I, I wanted to say we can do this and, and we will, we will do it. And it's, it's a ponderous process and it's, it's uh, tedious, but we can. And I think I honestly am cautiously optimistic that we will do it with the clients that I'm with. And I am cautiously optimistic that even though we, we do have companies that are kind of like, Hey, we have to crack the rip whip. We don't even know if these people want to do it. I think the majority do. They just don't know what to do. And then they get flustered and scared. But but know that if you're you're if you're doing it well and right, you're gonna be clumsy, right? It's gonna be clumsy the first few times. You get better. It's like riding a bike and falling over. And um just just let yourself do that and know it's not a straight line. And Alex, I'll reiterate, like you said, with the with the groups, I'm not letting you off the hook with a book. Um, you're gonna buy my book in August. I want you to join up one of the groups I'm having, right? And so set up the group. Put yourself out there, talk about it, be clumsy, you know? Otherwise you're not gonna get better. So that's it. That's all I have to say. I love, I love that you just said be clumsy. Uh, in in my DEI journey, the and this is that I would just from you doing that, this is like what I would offer everyone is like, if you actually care about people, you can be clumsy because there's an opportunity to like clean it up or apologize or learn and do it different. But if we're just trying to say the right thing and play it safe and like not ruffle any feathers, then we actually never, we never actually get to expand our relationships with people that are different than us or learn because we don't know. We just say that like really fine in that really fine space. So I love the, like if you care about people, like be clumsy, you can try because that's how you're going to learn. And that's how you're going to grow your relationships with other humans. Yeah, we're all humans, right? So let's just do it. Let's just be human as we're going through this. <laughs> it's so beautiful. Thank you so much for your work in the world. That's Latanya Wilkins. You can find out more by going to her website, Latanya, L-A-T-O-N-Y-A, Wilkins, W-I-L-K-I-N-S.com. And uh, take that DEI diagnostic. I'm going to do it. I can't wait to do that. And also, as you said, in August, um, that's my uh, ring doorbell. Thank you very much. Uh, the In August, go get the book, Leading Below the Surface, How to Build Real and Psychologically Safe Relationships with People Who Are Different from You. Tanya, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for your work in the world. It's so important. Thanks for having me, guys. Have a good one. We're grateful. And of course, you can find Alex Terranova at thedreamofmason.com. Find him on the Dream Mason podcast or go get his book, Fictional Authenticity. And you can read it either alone or in a group if you like. <laughs> any anything for you sir before we go oh my god i've never i've never actually thought i you know i know you read a lot i read a lot i've never been somebody who would read something as a group like that just seems like those people will slow me down right <laughs> as yeah. i'm tearing through books but i can really see the value of whether it be my book uh or any book that if it's something that's out of your comfort zone why it would be really valuable to read it with other people. So I love that. I love that joke. Thanks, Christopher. That's you all I got. For being with us. And uh, that's another edition of the coaching show. I thank you, dear listener, for being with us or observer if you're watching the Zoom. And uh, each and every week we bring you people that are out on the cutting edge or that need or that you need to know about. So thank you for listening and being with us. And we will talk to you next week. That's it for today's episode. Thanks for listening to the coaching show. We will talk to you next week.